April 18th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I am Chip Hessenflow, Steve. Half elf. We're just a couple of guys, or a guy and a half a guy and a half an elf, sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. It is no longer musical season, but boy, oh boy, we still keep going to musicals and thinking about theater and uh, uh, potential. Potential things that might be happening in my life with theater, Chip. It's great, Steve. Steve, did you say we could be thespians? Yes, we can wake up and be thespians. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, are the biggest nerd on this show. You went to the movie theater and saw Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. And Steve, I got to see it at the Alamo Draft House. Which makes everything better. That is the way to see movies for sure. I, I don't think uh, a theater sets up there and celebrates movies as well as the Alamo Draft House. They this put has so become, much effort into it. Yeah, this is, has become a true, like, um, I don't know, we're kind of gushing over a theater. Mm-hmm. So this, of course, um, stars uh, James Tiberius uh, Kirk, Steve. One of, the, one of the iterations of James Tiberius Kirk, one of the Chris's that have been dominating our movies for the last decade or so. This one is Chris Pine. And also Hugh Grant is in this. Yes. Please, please, without spoiling, tell me about how Hugh Grant fit into this story. Well, Hugh Grant is this charming guy, Steve. Mm-hmm. And Chris, Chris Pine is this charming guy, too. And I think this is a fun, fun film. Mm-hmm. So all those challenges, when I say when you go see movies, you feel like you're you're being preached to about something. I don't think that was really the case here. This is just a beautiful role-playing adventure. And you get this idea that the movie is actually a game of Dungeons and Dragons. I think that you can really kind of fall into it and enjoy it because I, I think the cast is great. I think the story is just serviceable. I mean, it's no massive great story. Nobody's leaving this going, my life has changed for the better. People leave this as going, wow, that was kind of entertaining. There's comedy in it. There's adventure in it. There's funny characters in it. And there's evil, Steve. There's bad people. It's the classic adventure story, right? It is It is that simple, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy, and good versus evil story. Yes, and I would say that all the good lessons that we got from Guardians of the Galaxy, hmm. you know, everybody's got this, I don't know, persona, and they truly create this band of misfits. And if you understand what each person's role is, hey, it sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons game. Um, I think that you will enjoy it. All right, I'm going to totally butcher this guy's name. Is it Reggie Jean Page? Regie Jean Page. His character is so funny because okay. he is, um, you know, straightforward in every delivery. 
he um, certainly misses something when he's talking to others. And Chris Pine just knows how to, you know, just antagonize him just enough, which kind of like the um, when he played uh, Kirk to Spock. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this logical person there, and he just knows how to, uh, I mean, just Chris Pine plays great characters is what I would say. And when I say these are pop characters, this is not like, uh, you know, you're not going to Shakespeare or anything like that, Steve. Okay. These, these are just pop characters that he really owns very, very well. Because I, the adaptations of Dungeons and Dragons have gone lots of different ways over the years. Mm-hmm. This one, the reviews that I've heard, these people pretending to be these action heroes they play this like the people who play dungeons and dragons would play it this is role playing and storytelling sure and if i'm having a summer festival you know theater in the park and we're, we're going to show some movies this is kind of an all you know everybody type of uh, adventure so it would be kind of like and when and please this this is giving it way too much credit like wizard of oz so, you know, you could play it with grandma and you could play it with young people. Um, I think this would play well with that. It is with modern um, storytelling techniques and stuff like that. But, you know, there's nothing particularly offensive about it. You know, the story is, you know, about um, mom was was lost and about a dad and a daughter, which seems like it's going to fit Very in Disney. well. So. Yeah, it'll fit in to other things we talked about, Stephen. Very interesting that they would go ahead and call this Dungeons and Dragons. I think that that title drives away a certain percentage of the audience. If this was just an adventure, just honor among thieves, it might play to a wider audience. But that name Dungeons and Dragons draws uh, a, a certain thinking and feeling about this storytelling. I think... Um... Gary Gygax would be very happy with this. And I, Gary Gygax is the, the founder of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And I do, I, I said 60 out of 100. This is not life changing. No one's leaving out of this going, this is the greatest film ever. But if you had to compare it against all the Marvel movies, it would compare to one of the higher ones. It's not perfect, but it's just different enough. So I think that once again, it, it is a family type of film that will hit a large audience and they'll enjoy the adventure of it. That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's, that's all we can ask for from our movies. Uh, You also went to the theater to see another musical in our adventures in a black box segment. You said theater, Steve, didn't you? Yes. 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 Oh, yes. Yes. Very straightforward, very well-dressed, and very uh, uh, strictly dramatic theater. Steve, when one goes to the theater to see a musical, one must prepare themselves. (laughs) A good meal and drink is probably required beforehand. (laughs) Okay, so the show that you saw this time is not exactly that, right? It is Beetlejuice, the musical, Steve. Don't is... say that three times. <laughs> exactly. This was played at the Durham Public Arts Center, DPAC is what we call it here. <laughs> this is the touring version. Beetlejuice, the original musical, did not stay on Broadway very long. COVID shut it down. Mm-hmm. And so this is the current 
traveling troupe is band of actors steve band of actors <laughs> traveling across the land in covered wagons hoping that an audience will be there when they get there <laughs> all right so what i will tell you is that the audience the initial part of it is about death and guess what mom died that's your first scene in this it's um, very disney well it just <laughs> seems to be the thing and then uh father and daughter must reunite in somewhere where they've missed out on something hmm. so this has a wonderful cast it has a wonderful set and wonderful lighting the music is not as strong and the story is not as strong as some other musicals so i say 50 out of 100 on this i do think that the jokes that they were saying landed pretty well i there was a lot of laughter and a lot of laugh out loud laughter okay. so people were certainly eating this up this is based on the tim burton and danny elfman film mm -hmm. beetlejuice that's twice by the way steve that's twice that's twice so we won't say it again um but it does not it's kind of inspired by it so okay. we, we get a lot of of the show that you would reminisce about the movie um a lot of the humor would come from the movie the choreography of it where the actors are kind of moving around and they have a, these exaggerated um, movements mm -hmm. whoever thought about that did an incredible job because okay. everyone has this just over-the-top personality in many many lovely ways um but i do think that uh it's missing some of the sharpness of the tim burton you know tim burton's got a style of course and, and they softened it for the broadway show okay so, so it's there as a i don't know maybe a, a a shadow of it but it doesn't quite have the harshness of it now the music that they play is certainly not as bouncy mad as danny elfman's it certainly was softened for a musical mm -hmm. that means that yeah it's 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 okay i say 50 out of 100 there's some adult humor in it but certainly nothing children should be overly crazy about i mean beyond the the concept of the death and and the the loss well there's the big deal if you if you have recently experienced a loss i could see this being you know death is 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 part of the comedy here sure now i will um spoil a little bit because everyone asks the same question do you think that the shrunken head man's going to show up the Shrunken Headman was a very interesting part of the 1988 film where, where they had this, this large body and this tiny little head. Does the Shrunken Head guy show up in the musical chip? And um, let's just say, most likely. <laughs> and everyone looks for this person. And yes, everyone has a great time. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny how a, a small little element of a story like that becomes such a focus and you go to the adaptation going, are they going to do that part? Well, it, it's it's what they asked for. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're there and you get these these parts. That was incredibly invented. By the way, there's, there's puppetry in this um, show also. Excellent. 
And I, sucker I, for puppets. And I think they do a good job using this big, large curtain. You know, there's a curtain. Mm-hmm. So the music will start in a scene. They'll move, the actors will move forward. The curtain will come down. They're changing the scenes out behind it. And the actor who is singing will have their moment and um, move off stage. And then they'll open up and you, you're ready for the next scene. Mm-hmm. So, so that was great. I love it when a script does that. We don't always have that in the script where the script is giving us that moment, that time to switch the set. There are some plays that have that. For instance, uh, Willy Wonka, speaking of uh, Tim Burton films, the Willy Wonka script has a very specific, now these actors are going to be in front of the main curtain so that the set can be switched behind for the big reveal. Lydia Dietz is the daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's played by Isabella Asler. And her yeah. voice is unbelievable. Nice. She she does really, really well. The dancing, once again, I talked about the choreography and what, how the actors move it, was incredible. Um, but I do think that what the musical suffers from is that the story, while it's there, it's just not the strongest story. And the music, while it's serviceable, is not the strongest music. I I didn't leave this musical. And by the way, I didn't prepare for it. I didn't sit down and listen to the soundtrack beforehand. Um, I just don't think there's a song in there that you're going to hear the latest crooner pop out and and everybody's going to go, oh, oh, that was from The King and I. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there are those songs uh, that we study in music, and, there, the, and there's the rest of the songs. And yeah, I don't know the soundtrack for this musical, but it is not the same as Danny Elfman's creation, and it might suffer from that comparison. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't mean it has to. You know, Hairspray was based off of a movie, mm-hmm. and they made a musical out of it. Um, they in many ways, surpassed the, the, the original movie. Not that the original movie couldn't stand on its own. I don't think that this musical surpasses the original Got it. movie. That doesn't mean that it's bad or anything like that. What I'm suggesting is that um, it's just not stronger. It suffers from comparison, I believe. I believe that to be true. I think Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice was a special moment in our history and anybody else who's trying to do that part will suffer by comparison now justin collette who is the current beetlejuice oh my goodness i said it three times um he is the character for the broadway show he is a very gifted actor but it's really hard to be mike michael Keaton. mm-hmm Notice I have not said the name of this show. I have, I, there was a moment when this was being shown as a movie in my school and I refused to say it on the morning announcements. He who must not be named, Steve. Very different. That's a different show. I'm glad that you enjoyed this. I I look forward to all of the creative adaptations. There's so many great stories out there that can be told in a different way. And I'm glad you enjoyed this one at least a little bit. Well, I do think that it is wonderful to get a a season of theater. And the reason you get a season of it is you always have something to look forward to. It doesn't mean that every time it's going to hit a home run, Steve. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, or score a touchdown. 
Or yes. yeah, make, make it go through the basket. If you know what I'm trying to say, Steve. Sports analogies for musicals. Perfect. Always setting you up, Steve. <laughs> I understand that reference. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week, Chip. I love the study of the mind, the brain, and our thinking. Well, that's good, Steve, because if we only had a brain. Thank <laughs> God they have Pampador out there for us. This is a book that I, I thought about holding on for our monthly book club discussion with Pamela Bedore, who is so smart and would give us so much more information than than we have. But I decided that this is a book that I, I wanted to uh, just maybe give us a preview of, and maybe we'll continue our discussion later with Pam. This one is called We Are Electric, Inside the 200-Year Hunt for Our Body's Bioelectric Code and What the Future Holds. This was published just a few months ago by Sally Addy, who is a researcher in the idea of finding out how our electrome works. The, the concept of an electrome is similar to the concept of a genome or a biome, the study of how electricity runs our minds and our bodies. Steve, um, I've seen The Matrix. I've seen what it does. This is very thinking in that direction of the electricity could be a signal the electricity could be a code and if we can understand that code and understand that signal we can do amazing things with our minds when i study this with my students in middle school i i Give them the basics, the idea that your hands and your feet move when your brain sends them an electrical signal. Because I teach a technology class, the metaphor that I use is the computer. That signal, that message that electrically moves from one part of the computer to the other is very similar in our thinking of how electricity works in our bodies. Interesting. I find all of this study completely fascinating. The author here starts with the history of how we have studied the brain and studied the electrical current that is running through us, our bioelectrical current. The 18th century brought us a, an interesting scientific exploration between Volta and Galvani, the two people who were studying bioelectricity. It's alive, Steve. It's alive. Yes, that's exactly where Mary Shelley got the idea for Frankenstein, was this study, this tussle between these two scientists trying to discover the electrical component of life and whether or not we could bring those things which are dead back to life. It's Frankenstein's monster. Yes, that, <laughs> yes, that is exactly what she was thinking. She was reading all of these scientific papers from these two scientists when she concocted that t amazing first science fiction story of life and electricity in Frankenstein. We can make life, Steve. We can make it better. Was that a, was that a German? Did you get a German in your Frankenstein? Possibly.
I find this so intriguing. I want to know more about how we could possibly utilize the study of bioelectricity and how we could maybe one day get to a point where we can use that to make us stronger, faster, smarter even. DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, you know, the people that created the internet, they have been working on this concept for a long time. The idea of adding some electricity to the minds of, say, oh, I don't know, soldiers and to turn them into, you know, super soldiers. Let me uh, let me turn down the lights, Steve, and um, put on the lava lamp. Tell this us more about this. this. This is something that is happening in your world, Chip. This is not. <laughs> this is not science fiction. This is science. There's we like have... a, there's this force around Steve. <laughs> it's just actually... it, it's the mini chlorians. <laughs> oh, Chip. <laughs> oh my. We have the knowledge that electricity is how we move our body and how our minds work. And Can we, we call it midichlorians from now on, Steve? We've been trying to solve the puzzle of how we can use that. And we have some scientific experimentation in this book where the author actually goes to DARPA and has a device put on her skull that adds a small voltage of electricity and allows her to become a sharpshooter in this experiment. She is floored. She tells us how she did not expect to improve her skill in this arena that she was not an expert in, but she was surprised by how much better her skill was with this device. Do you think she'll become part of the Borg, Steve? This could be the one of the many steps toward our our perfect life where we live either in the Matrix or as the Borg. No, no one is too happy and no one is too sad. They're just <laughs> there's lots of people that are that are trying to help us with our minds and our electrical systems there's lots of do-it-yourself mind enhancement kits on the market many of these are not real yes they many of these are are, are not the thing that you want to do you're right See, this is where this book gets really interesting because, yes, you are hearing the the quack science of this. And she goes into the, the history of how lots of people have thought about we can change our minds using electricity and how many of them are failing experiments. But that she has also lots of good science behind this concept. Steve, we, we know where all new technology gets its first start, don't we? The only place that it becomes profitable, Steve. Ah, I see. Yes. The, the, <laughs> I, your... I, the Soma is is will be delivered at some point. <laughs> I love how your point of view is always back to capitalism, and my point of view is always back to Star Trek. <laughs> it's very interesting to me how this show works out. <laughs> Well, at some point, it's got to pay for itself, and then it becomes inexpensive enough for everyone else. 
Sure. That is very important to the process of science is, is finding the money to do the science. You're right. Mary Lou Jepson uh, has been working on some great experiments in the fields of memory and thinking. She has shown us on a TED talk that I use in class how we can actually read someone's mind, seeing pictures of what is being thought in the brain is currently possible with the with the technology that we have and it's only going to get better over time she has such an interesting perspective on this because she had brain surgery and took her scientific thinking and used micro doses of certain very specific chemicals to keep her brain functional <laughs> what that's science she took some chemicals, Steve. Yes. <laughs> microdosing. She was microdosing. <laughs> In that TED Talk, she shows us how we can not only see an image and get a, a brain scan that shows us that image, but on top of that, the human imagination can conjure the same brain wave pattern as seeing an object. The idea that we can use this to not only understand what someone is seeing, but what they had seen previously is very intriguing science. This sounds very Doug Hennings. Like everything's possible in the world of magic, Steve. Imagination. Wrong show. <laughs> Ray Kurzweil wrote The Singularity is Near back in 2005, the idea that we will get to a point in computing where we will have the computing power that a human can copy their consciousness from the, the meat computer of your brain into the silicon-based computer. So they can never leave you, Steve. Uh, the, the question of whether or not someone is alive or dead at that point is certainly a big question. If your consciousness is still available, does that equal life? Is that sentience or is that just a, a copy of that consciousness? It's just a roll of a die, Steve. That's, that's Dungeons and Dragons. That was, that oh. was two seconds oh. ago. <laughs> Rick Kurzweil is getting a follow-up to The Singularity is Near Ready, and that will come out in 2024. The title is The Singularity is Nearer, by the way. <laughs> I look forward to reading that for sure. There's, there's some very interesting science with this going on on the education front as well uh greg gage and tim marzullo have been working on education and showing kids how neuroscience and the study of neuroscience can be their future they've got a company called backyard brains where you can buy a very small device and control the limbs of your friends taking those nerves and using that electrical impulse to move somebody else's hands this is intriguing fun science that my students really enjoy studying how interesting. 
I find this fascinating. I think about thinking all the time, metacognition, thinking about thinking, wondering about how the human condition became the thing that it is. All of the the iterations of this concept of creation of humanity. I think about this these big questions all the time, and I love studying this. Consciousness, Steve, how we kind of look at reality. And the idea of how your perspective and my perspective change our thinking and all of those biases that you don't even think about, that you don't even know that you have biases because of who you are and where you are and and the time that you are in. Fear leads to hate, Steve. Hate leads to suffering. Yes. I, I, I like a certain type of story and a certain type of science, Chip. You're right. <laughs> that, is but, that science, Steve, or is that wizards? I don't know. Again, magic is just science that you don't understand. That's all it is. <laughs> Finding an understanding, that's, that's what I try to do. I try to get to an understanding of all of these things. Yes, the the metaphor of the matrix, the metaphor of the uh, Bobiverse, where we can upload our consciousness to a computer, is very much at the forefront of this thinking. This book is very good at spelling out the history of this study and the possible future of what we're going to see as we study the brain and the electrical impulses better. That's We Are Electric, published in 2023 by Sally Addy. Scroll with it. Brings it to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of them. It is Tuesday, April 18th. It is time to file your taxes. So we had all this fun imagination, going on adventures, but reality hits, Steve. At some point, taxes must be paid, right? And Death what we've and learned from his book is that you may never go away, so you can continue to pay taxes. Is that how that works? It's all based on taxes. You're, oh, possibly. You can't die yet. You still owe money. So what do we need to know about tax day today, Chip? Well, if you haven't done your taxes, that you can go to the IRS, irs.gov, and you actually could file an extension. So that's all you need to know, Steve. You can okay. file an extension. Now, if you owe money, you'll have some penalties. If you know what those, uh, what you may owe, you can actually make a payment, um, which you think you'll owe. And if you paid too much, they'll give it back. If you didn't pay enough, you'll owe a little bit more. Hmm. But um, the concept that you should also know is, Steve, January 1st comes around every year. Imagine that. How many days do you work from when January 1st throughout the year? When do you eventually pay all your taxes? Your state, your local, your uh, um, federal taxes. How long, how many days do you work until you pay all your taxes? Well, the good news is somebody has calculated that, so I don't have to. <laughs> so, Steve, there, there was a, a businessman who wanted to figure this out. And up until, I don't know if he retired or passed away, it passed to a different group. But he decided that we should know from January 1st, you work every day to pay your taxes. Hey, listen, it's May 14th this year. So after May 14th, those dollars that you earn are yours to keep. 
that seems like um, an interesting thing to follow, doesn't it, Steve? And it seems like a, a much longer time frame than it has been in the past as well. Well, it changes every year, and certainly it's gotten longer. I think what we really should know about it is if you were going to pay your taxes, there's plenty of studies that show the government can raise tax levels to whatever they want it to, but they'll only collect a certain amount of, of those dollars. And if the taxes are low or they're great, it's really there's a, there's this band that gets collected. And um, I don't know, you know, when you look at May, so that's the fifth month, that's, um, you know, we're going into the fifth month. Hmm. So four months of the year plus 14 days, you are paying taxes. And that's how things get done. Mm-hmm. And you may feel that that's pretty reasonable. Or some people may feel that's not reasonable at all. Because once again, they're taking at least a third. Mm-hmm. That value that they get for that money is different for everybody. As a school teacher, I see how we are using that tax money. And whenever that tax money is wasted, I'm very frustrated. So for me, paying taxes, uh, I, I don't I don't cry too much about paying taxes because most of that money I get back in the form of a salary. Hey, Steve, it's 2023. There's something that's always in the news. The news is always in the news, and the reporting of the news is always in the news. And the way that we move information in 2023 has changed a lot. No, I was saying Twitter's in the news, Steve. Every week, Twitter seems to hit the news. Yes, Twitter has become the news instead of reporting the news. And NPR, National Public Radio, has quit Twitter. They are going to report the news their way instead of Twitter's way. And that was because of the decision that corporate made Mm -hmm. concerning how they were going to label the BBC and NPR, Steve. Yes. Twitter decided to label those two organizations as state-affiliated media. And both of those organizations did not like that marking on on their Twitter accounts. So NPR said they're, they're done with Elon Musk's Twitter. And um, my favorite thing that uh, happened was the BBC reporters basically saying, interviewing Elon Musk about Twitter, saying, hey, all you're doing is propagating hate, or hate seems to be one of the things that gets propagated. Elon Musk had a, a retort to that and was pretty forceful on saying, hey, reporter, Show me the proof. Where is the where is this hate? I don't want to spread hate. Show me this hate and I will get rid of it. And the reporter didn't have any really great answer to to this uh, very forceful question from Elon Musk. And he was basically just saying, give me one example. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as the person says, well, you know, it could be a little bit of hate. And he was like, okay, so at what point do I censor basically a bulletin board? Mm-hmm. Of people, you know, the internet's cruel anyway, <laughs> or certainly can be cruel. But mm-hmm. you know, it's at, at what point do we censor humans interacting with others? And you know, th- th- there is an answer to that, but you know, trying to define it is really tough. That idea of free speech is something that we talk about a lot with Twitter and all the other social medias. You have the right to say what you want. 
Well, actually, on a private board, you don't have that right, but they can grant much more freedom than other places. And what have we learned over the last year or so is that government agencies have been involved in social media companies suppressing information or allowing information to come through. So, in effect, there was a narrative that is being created, Hmm. and anyone who possibly could have credibility was shut down too. This wasn't, you know, the angry guy down the down the street who's just yelling out, you know, get off my lawn. These were people who had credentials who were being silenced and marginalized and discredited. And I think they've been vindicated over the last, you know, since Musk has bought this. Um, but I would say, you know, I'm not suggesting this is the right format or how the information should get out. But I am suggesting that in the United States, we do value information. And while Mm -hmm. it certainly creates noise, and while certainly it creates confusion, imagine living in a world, you know, like that. If we could only have an example of a country or countries that suppress information. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure the people of North Korea don't feel that uh, what we have available on Twitter is a problem. Hmm. But I'm sure the government of North Korea does. Right. Imagine you're a Chinese resident and the government comes in and tells what can be brought to the public and what Mm -hmm. can't be. You know, these are terrible situations. Now, the alternative is a Wild West version of that. And while it's noisy and it's difficult to figure out and you can be manipulated and all this other stuff, at least you may be able to go to somebody that you trust as a news source and have some information given to you. So we are in a war situation right now. We're given a narrative. Um, Is that narrative the correct narrative? I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. And as we've said many times, you never have all the facts. It's always about what you know from the narrative that you are being given and and trying to parse through all of the noise is a big part of this conversation. Well, Steve, let's leave this and let's go to something that you really, really love. If we could only find some spaceship out with some robots who are forced to watch bad movies with a person like Steve, how would we celebrate them what could it possibly be it is the 27th anniversary of the birth of my fandom of mystery science theater 3000 this week chip april 19th 1996 my friend steve brought me to the movie theater and and opened my eyes i was woke to the concept of movie riffing with mst3k the movie well that sounds awesome steve and what if we had my to, wife disagrees with you, Chip? <laughs> what if we had to celebrate the big blue marble? It is Earth Day on Saturday. Happy Big Blue Marble Day. Enjoy your Earth. And after that, oh, I've said too much. <laughs> and after that, Steve, we should probably get a little culture in our lives. Yes, something, something we should. Maybe we need a bard. You've got. <laughs> 
you've got two choices then. On Sunday is the celebration of the birth of Shakespeare. Happy birthday, Mr. Shakespeare. 459 years ago was, was William Shakespeare's birth and the birth of YouTube 18 years ago. So those are two very, very different cultural moments, aren't they? Oh, it certainly is, Steve. I wonder if we could find some of those old videos. I think they've been, um, there's so many videos now. Mm -hmm. They get kind of suppressed. But you never know, Steve. You may be able to find some of those crazy videos that they originally put out. Some of those original pieces of YouTube that the nostalgia of those memes has gone on for the last 18 years. Maybe the Careless Whisper uh, saxophonist will show up and give a little presentation. There you go. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. We should probably roll the die. All right. Uh, Yes, we can come back next week. Got an 18 on the 20 die. All right. (laughs) Yes, I had those within arm's reach. Of course I did. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're still on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. And I'm Chip Hasselblad. Half Elf. See you in the future. (laughs) Go elf yourself. I want to